Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Euler, and this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. So on this episode of Refine and Grow, we're going to focus on mentorship, and really we're going to look at it in two parts. First, how to mentor well, and secondarily, how to be a good mentee or a good protege, how to receive mentorship. Both of those merit a conversation on some, dare I say, best practices on what to do and what not to do. So we want to really focus on that two parts. We're going to start with mentorship. That's a question that I think early in my career, I was really focused on being a good protege and attaching myself to folks that I felt like I could really learn from and folks who were not like me, uh, did things a little differently and really learn from them. In this half of my career, I'm really focused on being a good mentor and still, frankly, learning how to do that well. So today we're going to focus on the role of the mentor. And then in our next episode, we're going to flip that. We're going to talk about the role of the protege. I can tell you that in my career, mentors have been really critical to my success. I can point at different points in my career and name specific individuals who helped to mold me and shape me and help develop me into the person and the professional I am today. Lindsay, talk to me a little bit about mentorship. Yeah. You know, one of the important things to point out here is that we use the term mentor. And I think it for a lot of people, including me, it often implies someone you've chosen to learn mm-hmm. from. But if you're a people manager, especially of large teams, you should consider yourself a mentor. Now, in the consulting world that Justin and I have our backgrounds in, you had a manager for each project you were staffed on, but it rotated. So you always had different bosses, which was great from the perspective of learning from a lot of different people. But I also, when I started out my career as a management consultant 12-ish years ago, I had the opportunity to pick and choose who I wanted to learn from. And like you touched on, Justin, I think it's the people that you want that are different than you. But I know that when I approach different folks or when I was trying to feel them out as somebody who maybe would be a great mentor, I wanted to know if they had the skill set where they were trying to understand me and how I think and how I learn because that's needed. It's not that you just have this set of rules as a mentor and that you follow for everyone. You have to understand the mentee and their perspective and what you can say to them that will really click in their head because you can say the same phrase 10 different ways. And when I'm coaching someone, if I'm trying to explain to them how to send an email that there's no room for misinterpretation, it depends on which aspects of that skill that they don't understand. Do they add too much information and fluff and I need to clarify for them? There's an ask that needs to be really clear and there's a little bit of context, but I'm going to limit you to three sentences. Like, do they overstate it or is it the opposite that they don't give enough information? And then I'm trying to coach them on why and how people need more information and how do you identify when they do and when they don't. Like when you're giving so much information that you're confusing them versus when you're not giving enough that they aren't going to reply. So I have to really understand the strengths and weaknesses of my mentee, but I also have to understand how they learn and what words are clear for them. Or even when Justin and I recorded season one of the podcast, we had a focus group 
a group of folks who listened to the first few episodes and gave us some feedback. And one thing that I thought was really interesting is that some people preferred how Justin frames things and others preferred how I framed them. And I think we really complement each other in this podcast because Justin tends to use analogy. And I tend to be a little bit more specific, give exact previous examples of what I've been through, or just like I did where I said, well, if I'm mentoring somebody, I have to give the specific example of how they write emails to teach them. Whereas Justin might use a broader analogy and that speaks to people's preferences for how they learn. And I know Justin, you were one of my mentors and I loved the analogies. So it's really just what lands with people, what makes them to have their aha moments That is what will make mentors who are great and mentors who are decent. For me, that's the differentiator. If they can take the knowledge that they want to pass on to their mentee and cater it to fit their learning and communication styles. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's kind of goes back to that. Know your audience and know the person you're talking to and where they're at on their career journey. What experiences they've had? What experiences have they not had? And also where are they trying to go? That's really going to shape what kind of feedback you provide. And I think you call out a really great distinction. I think there's coaching, which I I often couple mentorship and coaching together. There's an and percent. It's usually coaching and mentorship or mentorship and coaching. And I wonder if it would be helpful to throw out the idea that maybe coaching is probably for those of you in that supervisory relationship, whether you're supervising on a project or you're a frontline manager or you lead a team, there's that coaching that I think is very targeted, very focused. And I think it's situational. There's a situational element to it. There's a context of doing work together, whether in the terms of a project or on a team. And then I think there's that mentorship relationship where you may never work with that person in a particular situational context, but they're really someone slightly outside of your immediate day-to-day work could still be within your company, could be outside of your company, but someone you're going to and you have some kind of regular cadence of engagement and you're looking for guidance. You're looking for someone to throw questions at or throw ideas at and get their feedback on it. So they're a little bit more distant. They're a little bit more removed. And one could argue in that situation, maybe a little bit more objective. And your point stands though, really understanding who your protege is, what's going to connect with them is really, really important. But I wonder if maybe that distinction between coaching and mentorship is helpful. I think it's another distinction of the hat that you're wearing and the mechanism that you're using to help the mentee. Yeah. So we've outlined a few key topics that we feel like are really important when it comes to mentoring it, regardless of whether you're in that situational coaching role or you're a bit more removed and you have the luxury of providing a little bit more objective and one could even say more high level, more strategic advice. And I've certainly had both in my career. Both types of mentor have been deeply impactful. And there may be other types of mentorship as well, but I think those two really help to frame the kinds of engagement that I have at the very least and have had throughout my career. But Lindsay focused on knowing what's going to connect with your protege. And that really requires, first of all, for you to really listen, observe, and ask really good questions. So try to understand what the person is trying to get out of the relationship that you're mentoring. What do they want? What do they need? What are their expectations of you? It's important to have that conversation up front, particularly in that more kind of strategic mentorship relationship. What are you hoping to gain from me? 
What kind of questions do you have? I would say even put the onus of the relationship on the protege, really have them own it. And even within the coaching context with my practice, when I have skip level one-on-ones, which is really more of a mentorship or more of a coaching conversation, I put the onus of the agenda on the person who's setting up time with you. And I want them to guide that conversation. So I try to come in a little bit more open-handed, a little bit more willing to listen and to hear, prepared to ask really good questions, hopefully really good questions. But I put the onus of the topic and the outcome and what they're trying to gain from that relationship on the individual themselves. And then that puts me automatically in a posture of listening, observing, and then asking really good follow-up questions. And then when it's time, if it's time, to provide more directive guidance or coaching. And sometimes you don't even need to do it. Sometimes the role of a mentor simply is to listen, to observe, and ask really good questions. And it's amazing what kind of conclusions people can come to if you create that space for them to think about. Yeah, that reminds me of when we talked about how do you influence people? We said you ask questions. That's what you do. So if you're influencing the mentee, you've got to ask the right questions to understand where and how they need your help. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be direct and clear when you're giving them tips or guidance on how to approach something, how to improve something. I am really interested, Justin, what are your thoughts on when you're serving in the role of people manager, right? And coaching your people and what they're asking for help on is different than where you think they need help. Yeah. That speaks to, are they aware of their blind spots? Do they know what their development areas are, which is a great lead into a future episode that we'll have this season and knowing what your areas of growth are. That can be difficult if someone doesn't have a keen sense of themselves and at least a surface level understanding of where they have weaknesses and where they may potentially have blind spots. Are they self-aware? It's interesting when you look at like a nine block model or some kind of high potential employee model, one of the key indicators of someone really being a high potential employee is, are they self-aware and do they receive coaching and guidance? That's a key indicator of whether or not that's a high potential individual. You don't classify folks one way or the other. People can ebb in and out of self-awareness throughout their career. Sometimes that's situational. Sometimes that's a maturity issue. Sometimes it's their ability to reflect and take a step back just because they're in it, right? We've all been at points in our career where we're just in it and we actually have no ability to take a step back and see outside of ourselves because we're fighting fires. And it's like having really young children and trying to own your career. It's like the deep part of a project where you're kind of in those deep labor pains before a go live on a technology implementation. You know, your ability to take a step back and self-reflect are usually not there. In general, though, if a person is self-aware, they understand where their weaknesses are, that emotionally, professionally mature individual. So how do we help them with that? One, if they're not very self-aware, and I have some folks I've worked with in the past who initially were not self-aware, that can become tricky. If people are sensitive and they're generally attuned, but unaware, I think asking them questions, it leads to that awareness, peeling back the onion, if you will, with them asking a series of questions that guides them to that self-awareness that you can get there relatively quickly. In other situations, having to point it out directly after having had multiple attempts at helping them to see. It's just calling them out gently, 
I would even say lovingly, <laughs> if, you can do, if you can use that term in business to say, hey, I've observed that you continue to get stuck in this area, or we talk about this topic a lot. And you seem to think that the reason you're not able to get over this hurdle is because of X, Y, or Z, this situation, that person, this thing outside of yourself. Have you considered that you might be the problem or, or that you struggle with this particular component and just introduce it to them and see their response? You go from soft or indirect to direct. That's probably right in the middle. The direct way of going at it is sometimes you just have to have a really hard conversation with someone as a mentor. When you're in that coaching relationship, that direct, more supervisory coaching relationship, probably going to come up a little bit more frequently on more tactical issues. But when you're helping guide someone's career, guide someone's professional journey, sometimes you're just going to have to say it. I had a situation with an individual who's really struggling to see themselves as needing development and critical areas of leadership that would allow them or enable them to get promoted. They knew they needed to get promoted. They knew they wanted to get promoted. Let's put it that way. And they're very good at their job. But whenever you would ask them, like, why do you want to be a leader? Why do you want to be a manager? Why do you want to take on this role? The answer was always about them. Well, I want to do X. I want to do Y. This will enable me to do Z. Rather than what they could do for other people as a leader. And I finally just had to tell this individual, in this case, I did have promotional authority I actually can't recommend you for that promotion because you view this promotion as purely self-beneficial. And if you're going to step into this leadership role, it has to be less about you and more about the people you're leading and what benefit you can bring to them as individuals, what benefit you can bring to them collectively as a practice and what benefit you can bring to the company. It's not to say that there's not personal benefit. But it should be more about the benefit outside of yourself. You lead with questions. If they're fairly attuned, they're going to reach the conclusion themselves. If not, you got to ramp it up a little bit. Give them some examples of where they still might be getting stuck. If they continue not to see it, that's when I think you have to have a hard conversation. And that is in part the role of a mentor. The role of a mentor is not just to be a cheerleader, but it's also sometimes to deliver a really hard message with the end result, hopefully being the development of the person that you're mentoring and the growth and the maturation of that person. And hopefully if you've followed our first tip of listening and observing to understand how that person needs information framed for it to really land with them, that will help guide you in your approach to how you relay the message in a direct manner, but also catered to their personal needs for how they understand and process messages. Related to that, Justin, sometimes for mentors, what you might run into is similar to a lack of self-awareness, but more because you've got maybe a mentee who's brand new or someone on your team who's brand new. So I think about when you mentored me, Justin, I was new to the management consulting industry and I wanted to just learn everything. And I didn't necessarily have a whole lot of insight and information on where my strengths and weaknesses or opportunities yeah. for improvement were because I hadn't done much. And I remember you saying to me early on at the close of each project or initiative that you work on or any sort of like team thing that you do, go to the people who you trust and respect on that project or initiative or program that you helped and ask them for feedback. 
ask them and the way that you taught me to frame it and the company that we worked for taught me to frame it was they called it three up and three down. Mm-hmm. And I like that phrase. I think it's easy where I had to say to them, mm-hmm. what are the three things that you thought I was best at? Mm-hmm. And the three things that I could improve most on. And, you know, sometimes you have to give people a, a minute to think, <laughs> right. But setting up meeting with them towards the end of the project to get insight also built that self-awareness when I was a new employee looking for mentors in an industry that I was new to. I would say the last point on this topic, and again, guys, we just want to put these teasers out there to really start the conversation and get you thinking. We understand that we're not going to be able to provide you with a comprehensive deep dive on mentorship, and that's not really our intention. There are some great resources out there that I would strongly encourage you to jump into if you're interested in diving deeper into this topic. Having said that, the best instruction on mentorship is just being mentored well, and then taking the step to be a mentor, give it a go, step into the deep end, give it a try. I think the last topic I would just really touch on is fit. At my first consulting employer, we had a, a formal mentorship program the first half of my time there. And you were actually allowed to select your mentor. And of course they had to have a willingness and a desire to be your mentor, but it was purely a voluntary relationship. And if it didn't work out, you could swap mentorships, mentors, and there was no recrimination. It was a great structure. And that person was actually kind of a safe place, a safe person for you to go to kind of outside of the organizational structure of the organization. But what I found myself doing is I found myself intentionally picking someone who is very, very different from me. So I, there's not a finance and accounting bone in my body. I am not a highly analytical individual. I don't fit on the rationalist scale. I'm an idealist. Yet I sought out someone who was an accountant by professional background, very logical, left to right thinker, was more emotionally guarded, kept his cards close to his chest. But what we had in common was we had both been in the military and we had both been enlisted and we had both been officers. So we had this kind of shared history, shared background, and we had both made that move from military to the white collar professional world. And that shared history gave us a lot of connection. So though we were very different people, we thought very different personalities were very different. And we actually did very different work within the consulting sphere. We had that shared connection and shared journey. And I found having someone very different from me gave me alternate perspectives that I would just not organically seek out for myself and helped me to see things differently, both on a project, in my career, and more broadly in my life. And he was a fabulous mentor. So, you know, we talk about fit. You want someone who's a really good fit and who you can communicate with and understand, but don't confuse that with, I need someone who walks like me, talks like me, Mm. and quacks like me, right? That's not what you need. What you need is someone who's going to challenge you, someone who's going to compliment you and someone who's going to really be vested in your growth. And that may mean that they're very, very different than you. In fact, I hope that they are. Now, having said that, you do want to make sure that there's a good fit. You do want to make sure that there's a a relational connection, that there's some stickiness. Again, in that coaching orientation, that really comes less into play. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit in the situational. (laughs) But when you can actually pick who your protege is, and you actually can pick who your mentor is, you really want to make sure that there's a connection 
and that it's not forced. So it's a lot like dating and you know, when there's chemistry and there's connection with someone. And to this day, I still keep in touch. It's more annual now because we're both busy in life and everything else, but I still keep in touch with my original mentor from my first employer in the consulting world. He's still very much who he is and I'm still very much who I am, but we have that relationship and that connection. Don't force it, I guess is the big lesson. If you've given it three dates and it's not happening, as the mentor, it's okay to say, I really appreciate this relationship. I appreciate the fact that you sought me out. I don't think I'm a good fit for you. Maybe here's a recommendation for some folks that you may want to connect with. And I've even done that proactively when someone has sought me out to be a mentor, but I know it's not going to work. I just know intuitively in my gut that we're probably not going to be a good fit. I try to come to the table with recommendations of other individuals who might, might better serve them. It's not always personality. Sometimes it's just where they're at in life, where they're at in their mm. career. You just realize you're not the person. So when I realize I'm not the person, nine times out of 10, I try to recommend some folks who I think would be a good person for them and help to make that connection. So again, not intended to be a comprehensive conversation on how to be a phenomenal mentor. There are lots of resources for that, but we really want to give you guys some things to think about and chew on and you can hit us up. We love having the conversation. So we'll drop some information in the show notes. We'll put some stuff on the website and we'll help you dive a little bit deeper into this topic. That's all for today. Don't forget to head out to our website to download the tips and tricks worksheet from today's episode, download case studies, subscribe to our podcast and newsletter and more. And tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.